Okay, are y'all ready? Let's unpack Hebrews. I, I feel totally wired up here. Um, let's unpack Hebrews 3, 7 through 19, our next section of text. Um, something before we, every week before we come to the text, that, and I just want to keep emphasizing this because it's so easy. What do we tend to do? When we start getting into the scriptures and reading it, we read it and we go, what does this mean to me? Don't we? That's the wrong question to start with. It's always the wrong question to start with. That's like the last question you ask. We, and especially in a book like Hebrews, we always want to first say, come back and remember what is the aim? What is the author's intended meaning? In other words, who was he writing to? What was he wanting to say to them? And what were their circumstances? Remember their circumstances. They're, they're being persecuted. And, they're, and because of that, because of their difficult circumstances, the temptation is to go back to Judaism where they will have... Um, freedom from that persecution. They'll have relief. And so everything he's doing is, is centered on encouraging them, exhorting them, and warning them. Don't do that. Do not do that. So keep that in mind every week before you start jumping in with what does it mean to me. And after you thoroughly go through that, then we can start asking the questions, what does it mean to me and how does this apply to me and my world and my circumstances and where I'm living right now and what I'm going through, okay? So with that said, as you began to, one of the first things we always want to do is as we read through and you're doing observations, and I hope you're doing them, I know a lot of people have trouble um, reaching a point of enjoying doing this right? I mean, what challenges do you have as, as you do your homework? What challenges do you have? Do you have challenges? No, no, it's always easy. It's easy? No. <laughs> oh, I've got a good challenge. Okay, morning. yeah. I, st- I did all the observations and started answering the questions and it wasn't making a lot of sense. I did chapter four. Did you ever go back to three? Did you ever go back to three? Okay, that might be why it didn't make sense. Into chapter four. Four does tie to three. It does very well. Very well. It does tie to three. Challenges? Time. Time? The lack of time management. Time? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, slow down. Some of it's just discipline, isn't it? I mean, it is for me. It's discipline. Honestly, there's a lot of this I wouldn't do if I didn't have a deadline I had to meet. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I, I would rather watch TV. So, yeah. One thing I did on this one, I, both of them, because of the context, I forced myself to stay in context and stay in who, what, what was the intent, why was it written, because if not, I was like, I'm going to lose my salvation if I read this incorrectly. <laughs> exactly. This is one where you, you, you hear Jim say all the time, keep your head down, keep your head on the tax, keep your head on the tax, keep your eye on what's going on. Yes, you, you have to do that in Hebrews, especially in these warning passages. That's, that's very critical. Okay, any other thoughts, questions? Key words then. 
Keywords are all keywords, time phrases, those comparisons, the contrast, they're so important. And that's the first thing I always do is go through what's being repeated. Why is that being repeated? And I, and I keep putting that question in your homework every week because I think it helps. It helps me to just write, even after I've spent hours, to just write them down and look at them and then kind of step back. So let's do that. What keywords came out this week in your homework? Keywords and or phrases. Rebel. Rebel. Rebellion. Okay. Okay, do not harden. Harden what? Your heart. Okay. So there's a key phrase, but if you, if you wrote that down and you kind of notice how many times it's repeated, I also see two key words in there, and that is harden and in my heart that I want to kind of think about. What else? Go astray. Okay. Did you notice a time phrase? What was it? Today. There's an important time phrase, and we'll talk about that too. What is he trying to communicate, Kate, when he keeps repeating today? Okay, when he repeats today, right after that is a key phrase. Did you pick up on it? If you hear his voice. You did? Why? Because I guess just the fact that you cannot hear his voice. Okay. But is that, or is that yeah? Are you not listening? Or is he not speaking? Because he is silent sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So. In the context, is he silent? No. 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 So there's your answer right there. In the context, he is speaking. And in the context, he's saying today, if you hear his voice, implying maybe you're not hearing it. Because I am speaking. Is that Make sense? Or you're ignoring it. Or you're ignoring they were it. not obeying him. They knew his will, didn't they? Uh-huh. They were, yeah. they were still fighting against him. They were still hard. They were hardening their hearts. Mm -hmm. And we're going to unpack that in a minute. Anything else you want to add to this list? Deceitfulness. Okay. The deceitfulness of sin. Only used once, wasn't it? But do you see how something like that, even though it's only used one time, how important it is, and, and unpacks the meaning of what the author's trying to say? What did you say, Patty? Rest. Rest, Rest comes up. Unbelief. Unbelief, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have a hard heart, and we have an unbelieving. Let me go the other way. We have... Hmm? Evil. Hearts can also be evil. Evil, hard, unbelieving. Yes. Test. Test. Okay. Provoked. Provoked. What about people? Did you know that? Yeah. They and those. Did you see that? I mean, I, here's another lesson. I don't know how many times I read through this. I've probably already written the lesson for you all. And then came back and was, once I write the lesson, then I go do the lesson, which is really kind of interesting. That's when I figure out what, everything I did wrong in writing the lesson. <laughs> but it just jumped out of me. Wow, they, those, 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 they're everywhere. The, you know, the, speaking of the Israelites, so they or those. 
which right there, I'm, I'm kind of sharing with you my thinking process. Right there when I started noticing that, I started just jotting down, what does he say about them? What about those? Who are they? What do I learn about them? How, what is their example to me, both negative and, and positive? Okay. Disobedience. That is awesome. But all of this is cause and effect. That's good, Jennifer. She gets a star. We give out stars. We draw stars. We have, I have a small group I lead on Friday. There's about like five women because they can't come on Tuesday because of jobs and other responsibilities. And so we have a joke about the stars. So if some, somebody says something really good, somebody leans over and draws a little star on their book. <laughs> it's just become this joke over the years. Well, you get a star, and they draw. Those, or somebody will say something, they think it's really good. Do I get a star? <laughs> Is somebody going to give me a star? So it's just kind of funny. Okay, do you see how in looking at all these things, I don't know that we might could add one or more, but we've got a lot of it there. When I write that down and I look at that and I just step back without any of the rest of the words in the text, I can begin to say, wow, I know what this author's doing and what he's saying. But you and know what I think is missing in there? What? All the things it says about God. Okay. So God. I like this. Okay, like what did you put on your list for God? He speaks. He tests us. Okay. So that might be kind of the umbrella like Jim was drawing last week when he drew the umbrella of Jesus and everything comes under it, then everything that's being said here is under the umbrella of let's not let's not lose sight of what he says about God and all this as well. Yeah. Do you, do, I mean, right here, it should become apparent to you that there's a lot of layers in this text. There are a lot of layers that we could spend time meditating on, definitely. In fact, as I, was, I got up early this morning and was going over my notes, I thought that, and I thought, I'm just not really sure where, what my main points are for this lesson, Lord, and how, how do I communicate that? Because there's so many layers here. But if, you know, if we have different layers and we don't quite time together, that's okay as well. We're going to just use this as a thinking session. So at this point, I, I would ask then, what, what, is, what would you say the main theme is? If you could do a summary statement of a few words or a sentence for this particular passage, what's, what's the main point? What's the main theme? OK, so Karen says it's, it's a warning. Okay, so hold on. Karen says a warning against unbelief. What did you say? Don't follow the fatal example. Don't follow the fatal example of, of the Israelites. June, what did you say? Warning. warning. Okay, okay. Unbelief results in apostasy. Unbelief results in apostasy. Okay. Don't let history repeat itself. Okay, all of those are good. They're all, but how could we, how could we kind of pull it together to then tie all of it together? Let's do this as a group. I don't have an answer. I'm just asking you. I put their ability to enter the promised land hinged on their hearts. Okay. Okay. 
Why don't we just say, warning, do not harden your hearts. Could we do that? So if we're going to do main theme, we know it's a warning. We definitely know it's a warning. And we know the warning is, I think we can make everything else come up under that. Um, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Okay. okay. Do not harden your hearts. Yes, June. They didn't believe. Let's let's look at what. Let's just look at. Let's go to our cross reference and start to look at that because he's quoting Psalm ninety-five, and this and so you looked at Psalm ninety-five, and this is interesting. I read in a couple of places that these verses that he's quoting out of Psalm 95, specifically today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, was something that they opened the Sabbath service with every week. So as Jewish believers, having come up through the synagogue, every, every Sabbath at the beginning of the Sabbath, they would have heard it kind of rung in with a reading of, of Psalm 95, starting with verse 7 today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I think that's really interesting, isn't it? Can you imagine if we started Sunday morning that way? Everybody walks in, sits down, and somebody gets up, and their deep God voice, a man, today, if you hear, we have Scott do it, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. But that might sober us all. Yeah, Dan? It's really interesting because the Jews, when Jesus came, their hearts were hardened and didn't accept Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And he was speaking. He wasn't silent. He was right there. And they and if you hear his voice, and they didn't hear his voice. And he did miracles just like uh, he did miracles for the, the, the mm-hmm. Jews wandering in the wilderness. Yeah. And it's it's like and you know that's what amazes me and and, and but you know it's like our hearts are too. We, uh, we have a lot of faith, a whole lot more faith. It's a perennial problem, isn't it? Yeah, it's a perennial problem. Let's just go to Psalm 95 and read the first verses. I think are really interesting. Because what is he doing in the first part of the psalm? It's worship, isn't it? And praise. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights are the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are his pe- the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. You see how that, boy, that is that not like considering God, consider Jesus? See how it focuses your thoughts? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. How, how, how could you dare do that? When, when this is our great king, our great God, the one that formed us, who made the sea. I love the, the imagery and the, all, all the richness of the imagery. In his hand 
are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. Wow. Wow. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And they knew this context, and they heard this every single week. So it's a, it's a masterful way the author has taken that to then make his point, what he's going to say to them. So who hardened their hearts? Who's he talking about? Who's the example? The Israelites. And what happened? You looked at a couple of cross-references, and this wasn't all of them. Like in Exodus 17, did you kind of read back a little bit, figure out where they were, kind of about the time period? What happened in Exodus 17? They didn't have water. Which, by the way, this is the second time. It happened in, in, I think, 12 or 15. And when they didn't have water, they're out in the wilderness. What did they do? They grumbled. They complained. You brought us out here to just let us die of thirst. And they're complaining to, to Moses. So you, you see that, that bitterness that they have, the contempt they have for God, and yet they're complaining to him. What had they seen? What had they experienced? God delivering them miraculously from the slavery of Egypt. They saw all the plagues. They experienced the Passover, the killing of the lamb and putting the blood on their doorpost, and then the angel of death coming through and killing and killing the firstborn of all those who didn't have the blood on, on, on the doorpost. And it was that final plague that really causes Pharaoh to finally relent and say, fine, you can go. But then he regrets it, and he pursues after them with his army. And what does God do? He opens the Red Sea, lets them through, drowns the army. They saw this. They saw in the wilderness the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night leading them. They experienced getting manna. There was an experience where God rang down quail for them because they wanted meat. They saw all of these things and experienced it, yet here they come to something difficult and they grumble and moan against him and have contempt for him because they're thirsty. And they even say, why did we ever leave Egypt? Why did you bring us out? What a slap in the face of God after all he had done for them. And they say they'd rather be back there and be slaves. Yeah, they'd rather be because they begin to look upon Egypt with fondness, that things were better there for them. And then yeah. he shows them his, his glory in the tent of meeting. I mean, they've seen his glory witnessing all of that, and yet they still want to ignore Moses and say, okay, well, never mind. We're going to go ahead and go into Canaan. We're sorry we said we wouldn't, you know, mm -hmm. and without his protection, mm -hmm. without his, mm -hmm. you know, leadership. Mm -hmm. I think, though, that one of the things that I always remember is they've been in slavery for 400 years. Mm -hmm. So anything that they had known about God had really gotten muddied up. And I think that's why they were in the wilderness for 40 years, was because it took a really long time for God to show them who he was. And that, you know, they, I think that they didn't trust yet that he was really reliable. They'd seen these huge things, but... And I think we're exactly the same one. But hang on to that. Hang on to that. Yeah, Phyllis. Uh, I've said this before, but it just strikes me so strongly that uh, their trouble always started with losing their focus and uh -huh. starting to grumble. Uh -huh. I mean, and when we think of us today, how much of our daily conversation, even in <coughs> Roman talk, 
is it is it positive or is it about well, this isn't this or the weather is this or what you know? So it, it seems to me that when, when grumbling is there, the focus is on ourselves and the heart is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay, go into Numbers 13 and 14. And actually, I should have given you uh, more verses in 14. I didn't realize that till last night. But what, what incident is happening there that he's also referencing? If we're looking at, um, we don't want to follow their example. In chapter 13, this is where the spies are sent out, aren't they? And, and I don't know if you noticed or not as you read that, they, they weren't just any ordinary people. They were chosen a chief, a chief person, a leading man from each tribe to go into the land of Canaan and spy it out and come back and give a report to the people before they were then going to go into the land, the land that God had promised, their place of rest, that they would rest from their labors and they would have the land flowing with milk and honey. They go in and they come back and what kind of report do they give? It is a land of milk and honey. They even bring back some of the fruits of the land, don't they? Just show here. Yeah, you're right. It is. However, but there's giants in the land, and also what? There's large fortified cities. Very large. And is that true? There are giants in the land. There are fortified cities, aren't they? But what? What becomes the prevailing perspective of the 10, there's 12, to hold to the fact that, yes, God said we can go in and take this, we can go in and take it, but 10 of them report something differently that influences everybody. And what is their assessment of the situation? Well, there are giants in the land, but what's their assessment of the situation? What do they begin to believe? We're like grasshoppers. Can't do it. We can't. We cannot do it. Not at all. So what has happened with with these people? When he says today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as those who tried and tested me in the wilderness, who provoked me. Which, by the way, provoked means um, not only to be indignant but to be grieved. I thought that was really interesting. They grieved me. They, they provoked me. I was indignant with them. I was exasperated with them because he has already shown them so much of who he is and what he can do for them. And yet, they don't believe him, do they? Mm -mm. They still doubt. They still doubt. Do they doubt or what? Do they, is it doubt or what is it? Rebellion, unbelief. Do you see the, the difference in the shades of the meanings? Doubt means I'm not sure you can do this, but, but okay, maybe I'll act or not act. They just have pure unbelief. And therefore disobedient. And therefore disobedient. Do you see the tie between unbelief and dis disobedience? How closely connected they are? Yeah. You know, I just, just now noticed this. And we became like grasshoppers in our own Oh, that's interesting. Is that, their wow. Own, they're looking into who they are, what they need to do, and they don't have the faith in God to deliver them. Mm -hmm. That goes back to what, was it you, Phyllis, that said that? The trouble started, or 
was it which one of the Phyllis's? The trouble started when they lose their focus. Yeah. yeah. They were looking in. They were looking at the giants in the land, the fortified cities, and themselves. And therefore, they didn't believe God, even though he had revealed himself to them. That's where I'm disagreeing with you. They had revealed. They did know who he was. Yes. Okay. And, and they chose to disobey and not trust him. I think that, and that's what the author's saying is don't be like them. Don't do what they did. As a result of their unbelief, as a result of their distrust, what happens? What are the consequences? They don't get to go into the land. Where I should have had you read on a little bit, because I asked you, who, did, who didn't get to go in the land, and who did get to go in the land? Who got to go in the land? Caleb and Joshua. Who also didn't get to go in the land? Mm-hmm. Moses didn't get to go. Because, and that's a whole nother lesson, because he struck the, the rock when he was told to speak to it. But that's a whole nother lesson, so we can't go there. He, him. he did have a higher standard applied to him. I think that's the key to that. Uh, my ladies Friday were really struggling with that, and I think that is the key. Because he was the leader, the standard was higher, and the consequences are higher. Yes, I may not show up next week. <laughs> That made me my ticket out of here. <laughs> okay, so who, got, who, who did not get to go in the land, this is where I should have had you read a little more, but I'll just tell you. Anybody taken in the census 20 years and older didn't get to go. And one of their fears was, in the, you will be like grasshoppers, our children will be prey, and they'll kill our, they'll kill our kids. And God said, you know what? Those children that you thought would be prey, they get to go into the land. And we're just going to sit here in the wilderness and wander around for 40 years, and I'm going to wait till you all die that don't believe me, die off, and then I'm going to let your kids go in. Isn't it interesting he let that time pass instead of just killing all those that were older than 20? That is a profound thought, and I don't know how to answer It is very interesting. Well, then he did kill some of them because the plague was Yeah, yeah. He does step in occasionally and wipe some people out when they uh, really disbelieve and disobey. They didn't get to go in the promised land, but does that mean they aren't going to be, they're not saved, they're not going to heaven, or they just didn't get to go in the promised land? I think it means they just didn't get to go in. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're, I I mean, I don't think we're talking about their salvation in this. If if you want to disagree, that's fine. I don't I don't think they are. I think it's it's the consequences of unbelief and disobedience. I don't think you can make that leap right here. I think he's saying you didn't believe, you don't get to go in. And don't follow that. Hang on to that thought. You didn't believe, so you didn't get to go in. He's using it as an example, but I don't think we're talking about their salvation. I think what does that mean on the rest? If they, if they, uh, what's the rest? Go into God's rest. For them, the rest is the land of Canaan. Then we have to ask when he starts talking about, do not, you know, be careful that you don't fall short of his rest. Then we have to ask, what is our rest? Right. Yes. What is our rest? Salvation. Hmm? Salvation. Okay, it is salvation. It is eternal life. It is Jesus. It's Jesus, really. Who, well, this is next week's lesson. So if it's not clear to you this week, next week he's going to really develop this, this idea of rest, and it's going to become very important. And you're going to see, I'll just let you know, you're going to see, that'll be one of your questions, how many rests are we talking about?
And we're talking about several different rests under several different people. So it, it, it can get confusing, but you have, to follow his, you have to follow the logic so that you don't get lost in the warning. Okay? Other thoughts, other questions? Okay, let's move onward. So take care, brothers. Well, that does, we did kind of talk about the, the rest, and we, yeah, we talked about the rest. We've got that. Okay, how else, look at number four. How else are they described? We've, we've pretty much covered this, but let's cover it right here again. Let's kind of review. How else are those, are they, described? The, how often did their hearts go astray? Did you notice that time? Always. So let's, let's think in terms of this, because a question I didn't put in your homework is, what, what does it mean to harden your heart? And I think they show us what it means to harden your heart. And that's jumping right into direct application, really. But what, what was the process of their hardening their heart? How are they described? They lost their focus. What did you just say, Dan? Okay, hearts went astray, always. They were hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Yeah, the reference to deceitfulness. Okay, so they're hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What does that mean? How would you describe that to somebody? Did you think about that? I did. James 1. Yeah, where he's talking about you know, everything gives birth in our thoughts. Uh -huh. And then the, as we dwell on these thoughts, then it begins to be acted out as actual sin. And our sin leads us to death. That progressive deceitfulness, that progressive hardness yeah. um, begins really with this inward focus mm -hmm. instead of this effort. Begin, did you all hear her? It begins with an inward focus rather than an upwards focus. And not only that, the thought, it's a thought. It begins with a thought, and then I act upon it, and it becomes behavior. And if I don't repent, if there isn't a, somewhere in there, up to that point, a point of conviction and repentance, then deceitfulness sets in that maybe this isn't really sin, or maybe it isn't as bad as I think it is. As I consider him, as thinking about what you said um, at your table, June, his holiness, if I'm looking at his holiness and his righteousness, my sin is revealed, isn't it? The standard changes. So I'm less likely to be deceived by sin that has entered into my head and my heart and my life. Right. Okay. I, I, the reason I, I want to emphasize this always, our, our hearts can go astray, but their problem was this is a repeated pattern. This was a way of life for them that it was constantly going astray. And you see that in all these, te they're testing God. Every time they come up upon a difficulty, they don't believe him. And they grumble against him and have contempt for him and question his goodness and his provision for him, even though he has shown them his goodness and he has shown them his provision for them. OK? 
Okay? How else are they described? It provokes God's anger when they are in rebellion like this. Uh-huh. Yeah. It grieves him. And I think grief and anger can be tied really closely. Yes. Okay. What else? Testing God. They tested him. What does that mean? What does that look like if I'm testing him? Were they testing his patience? I think they're trying and testing his goodness. The whole grumbling, the whole questioning him, isn't that testing him? When they said, is the Lord among us or not? Uh I think that's a good definition of testing. Are you with me, God, or are you not? Yeah. They grumble. They complain, they question, is he with me? Are you good? Can I trust you? Are, are you going to provide for me? And I, I don't, and the, of course the answer is no, I don't trust you. No, I don't think you are. No, I don't think you're good. So I think that's, that's the testing. And again, that ties back. Again, that where does the trouble start? You know, losing the focus. All those just lead us deeper and deeper. Uh-huh. Yeah. You start digging a really deep hole. Brenda and then Norman. Well, I think part of testing is going, I want to see. I want to see another thing. I want to uh-huh. see another Prove. Thing. Prove yourself. Prove. Proof. Yeah. And it's what, you know, I've already given you the proof and you're not believing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you hear? I've already given you the proof and you're not believing it. I think about what Jim said. Was it last week or the week before about people who will have come to him and said, I've bargained with God and I got him to give on this? I mean, that, I, that really did leave me dumbfounded. I can't imagine wow. doing that. But that would be testing him, wouldn't it? Yeah. Norma? Well, I see there's a process, too. The, uh-huh. the hardening comes from, now, like David this morning, you know, he, he sinned a lot. But when he saw, he repented. There was a soft heart. That's David's heart. That's a man after God's own heart. It's a softness. But when you repeatedly sin and do not repent, it becomes hard and my clay steps up, you know, and it gets hard. And that He is so simple, and yet God says he's a man after my own heart. Yeah, it, it has to do with the heart. Yes. Yeah. So how is he a man after God's own heart? He's, he repents. He I repents. God's forgiveness. You know, as you look on forward here, Moses intercedes. God's going to kill them all. Yeah. And Moses intercedes and says, if you do that, uh, I mean, the people in Canaan, they know what's going on out here in the miracles. And, and so you know, we can... We can go and conquer them, but if you kill them all now, well... What's that going to say about you, God? Yeah, and so God, yeah. it said about that, he forgives them. So we are talking about going to the rest. Well, so God forgave them. They didn't get to go in front of them, but he forgave them, mm-hmm. which leads you to think that they could have a reward in the future still. 
Okay, there's your answer for whoever asked, was this, does this mean they weren't saved? No, it means they, because they, they, God said, I forgave them. Yeah, yeah. God forgave him. He said, "I forgive you. I will forgive you, but I'm still not letting you go in the land because you didn't believe me." There's still a consequence for unbelief. God, you know, there's an application right there. There's forgiveness, but there may be consequence. There's consequence for sin. There is forgiveness. Yes. There are multitudes away. But I love what Norma said. It's a process. And you saw me all writing this down. It's a process. There's an either or here. We can repent and go that process of repenting and a new heart and a clean heart and restored relationship with God and right fellowship with him. Or you can choose to not repent. And it's going to lead down the hole these people are in, in a really hardened heart. Yes, Phyllis. Yes. His heart wasn't evil and unbelieving. It was sinful, and there's a difference. There's definitely a difference. Okay, um, today, when it says today, what does that mean? Why is that so significant today? Today, if you hear his voice. Because today is all we, all we have. Tomorrow is a guarantee. We can't go back and do anything about yesterday. Mm-hmm. And so this is the day we have to act. Yeah. Today, what's he holding out there for us for today? Today, if you what, what is it? You you looked at a cross reference here in in Second Corinthians, and I think it kind of sheds light on what what he's saying today. If you hear his voice, what's he speaking? Salvation. salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today, there is an opportunity for you to hear his voice and experience his salvation. But it may not be here tomorrow. It may not be. There's an urgency here of today. Isn't, isn't that what, when it says God spoke through his son, isn't that what's happening? Every day today, there's an opportunity for those people that like Ron was sh- and, and Lucia were sharing with. Today, there's an opportunity to hear his voice and accept Jesus Christ and enter into the eternal rest of salvation in him. So there's, there's an urgency there for those that hear. There's an urgency for us to proclaim it. So I think that he is saying that. But look, look, let's unpack this. It's going to answer some, I think it will answer some of the questions that I just know are swirling in your heads. Look in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of of sin. Now these get a little hard. Think about who he's talking to. He's talking to a whole congregation. Take care, brothers. I'm addressing all of you. But here's the key. Lest there be any one of you. What's he saying? When he switches from uh, the whole congregation to lest there be one of somebody among you. What do you think he's saying by making that switch? People that don't believe and have not accepted salvation. 
Yes, I think that's what he's saying. I think he's addressing, I think this helps understand some of these warnings. He's addressing an entire congregation. And he's, uh, he is addressing them as believers, but with the thought, I know that amongst you there are some who really aren't. And you know what? Because he's speaking, and you're hearing it, and you're up close to it, if you don't hear it and respond to it, you really, really need to fear that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was a different kind of man, and he was different because he obeyed and because he believed and he trusted. It isn't enough to hear. I think the point here and the point next week will be it isn't enough to hear. It, it, it has to be coupled with belief. Do you see in this week and next week, you'll see it again, that, that hearing has to be combined with belief. The two go hand in hand. Yes, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. And sort I wrote this down and it just I had a question mark um, because it says as God's fellow workers we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So what does that mean? You you're a fellow worker and you've received his grace to no avail because you've you know turned away from it, fallen away, mm-hmm. chosen above that. I don't know how to answer that. Well, would there be a difference between God receiving you have to accept that? I mean, Jesus has mm-hmm. offered it, so it's there for you to receive. Yeah. You have to accept that uh, to make the connection. Right, right. But it, did, but it says to not receive it in vain, so it seems mm-hmm. like there is reception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just looked up workers. Yeah. Word workers might mean. Well, and you might, and to and unpack that too, Jennifer, that might be when you have a question like that. It's exactly what she says. You look up workers and then you look at broader, go even further back, further forward, uh, to, to see when it's, when it's a text that's not clear exactly what he's trying to say. But because I'm, it's, I'm not fresh into that, I don't, I don't want to say. Okay. Other thoughts? I was thinking faith without works is dead. Yes. So you can receive that faith. You mm-hmm. can Well, one of your questions is, what do you believe? What do you think it means leading you to fall away? What does it mean to fall away from the living God? Oh, there's opening a can of worms, isn't it? (laughs) Jim's not here, so. (laughs) Maybe a better question would be, look at the verse 14, four which is explaining what he just said. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm unto the end. Maybe we can answer what is falling away if we answer that, what that means first. So what does it mean if we hold our original confidence firm unto the end? And do you see how that, that ties really closely with what we saw last week? And was it six? Somebody have six in front of you? What was um, Hebrews 3, 6? Okay, whose house we are, if we hold fast 
our, conf our boast of our hope and confidence to the end. So what is he saying? In those two if statements, what is, what is he saying? Or are you sitting there going, I don't know, tell me what he's saying. <laughs> let's, let's wrestle with it for a minute. Is anybody wrestling with those verses? Okay. Okay. Jennifer's wrestling with them. And I, I mean, at first I, I wrote down to make a willful choice, and then I read the scriptures again, and I thought, no, I'm crossing that out. Because I think in this context, the warning to take care and instructions to exhort one another daily shows that turning away can happen perhaps slowly, progressively, and even almost passively if you're not diligent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In the ESV study Bible, it gave definition of that word uh, fall away or turn away and what does it say? It's apostanai or something mm -hmm. and it said it means to turn away from forcing apostatize from mm -hmm. so uh, it could be gradual but uh, the final uh, outcome is I turn, the final outcome is I'm going to, it also means to, to stand aloof or to stand away from, the final outcome is I'm going to back off and stand away and forsake. Okay. So what is he saying? If you hold, you are his house, we do share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm until the end. What do you both... Well, what do you mean by once saved, always saved? Because that, that can mean different things. Once saved, always saved. Do you know what I'm saying? I think once saved, always saved means something. Perseverance of the saints means something else. Do you all follow me? Do you want me to explain that? Because you hear Jim say in here a lot, the once saved, always saved. And if you haven't picked up on it, he really disagrees with that. Um, I think what he's saying there is, is some of what some people or pastors or teachers will, will teach that it once saved, always saved. Well, you walked an aisle you prayed a prayer, you got baptized, and therefore you're looking back at this event back here and placing your assurance on this act that you did rather than where your heart is now. That, that, is, that would be a definition of once saved, always saved. That belief, if we're going to understand it in, in the context of our culture, is I'm placing all of my confidence and my assurance in something I did back here, not in what's happening in my life today. And, and I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm with Jim, I'm really against that. Perseverance of the saints is those who are really his, they will persevere. And their perseverance is evidence of what was true of them. You are God's house. At the end, what, what will be evidence is that you really were God's house. At the end, what will be evidence is you really did share in Christ because you did persevere to the end. Do you see the difference? Okay. I think, I'll just tell you that I think that's what he's saying here. I think in addressing all of them and giving the warning, because think about what he's doing. Think, go back to the aim. 
I want to encourage these people, and I want to exhort them. And as I encourage, and as I encourage them, he gives lots of teaching. He starts out right out in verse 1, teaching about who Christ is, his superiority as God himself. And he begins from there to unpack, and he will do this all the way through till he hits about chapter 12, um, giving us all these comparisons, comparisons and teaching and doctrine of who Christ is. Consider him, fix your eyes on him, because he's far superior than anything, and there's nothing to go back to because he's the full revelation of everything that you knew. And he's encouraging them at the same time to consider him and focus on him because that's the only way you are going to persevere. That's the only way you're going to be able to get through this and get through it victoriously and without your heart and your soul and your spirit just torn into shreds is by focusing on him. But at the same time as I address this group of people and that are in danger of going back, and maybe some of them already have gone back, I'm saying, in the midst of this, I think some of you have come up really, really close, but you never really embrace Christ and believe him. And he's still speaking, and you need to hear. And if you have not entered into belief in him, then do it now. Do it now, or there'll be no rest for you at all. Does that make sense? You're, you're free to disagree with me if you want to. I will still love you. <laughs> yes? That's what I mean by there's so many layers to this. I mean, there's the layer of I'm trying to get those of you all in the midst who may not have ever really truly believed to believe. I'm trying to encourage those of you who really believe to refocus your thoughts so you will persevere victoriously. I'm also trying to hit those of you all that have let the steeple of sin enter into your life to give you an opportunity to, to repent because there's danger and there's risk if you don't take the process of repentance and instead you harden your heart. I, he's, in some ways, I, the more I look at it, it's just a master. Remember, this book is somewhat of a sermon, a homily. It's a master sermon here of all the people in the audience he's hitting all at the same time. Do you all agree, disagree with that? That's what I see in this. And I see, I see more the perseverance of the saints, and that's what he's saying in there, because if he said, well, if you hold fast, then you'll get to be part of the house. Or if you hold fast, then you'll really share in Christ. And that negates all the Romans. And it makes it our works that um, makes what we do. Then we might as well be Muslims. Because they have to hold fast, and they have to do good, and they have to persevere to the end, and then maybe they'll get into whatever their heaven or whatever. Then we might as well be Muslims. Does that make sense? Okay. Other thoughts, questions? Are you confused? Are you just digesting it? It is amazing how much is in here. Oh, my. Yes. Each week I keep thinking, I always think Romans is, I had this like grab and go and tear out just a page or two of the Bible. I always think I'd go to Romans, but the more I get into Hebrews, I'm thinking, well, Hebrews might be one I might have to grab and go with. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much in it. 
there's a lot in this. There's a lot in it. And you can read it on a lot of different levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So how, so how, um, I asked the question, and I don't know that we thoroughly covered it, how versus, is it um, the, the warning, take care, but then exhort each other? How are those two so related? Why is it so important that we exhort each other every day? So that whoever walks on their hearts yeah. see the evidence maybe they are mm-hmm. uh, the dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Pulled everybody down, yeah, didn't it? And they, the yeah. It I think it emphasizes and I think he does this a lot and, and watch for it. Watch for it as you study through the book. He really emphasizes the communal aspect. Salvation is not an individual affair. And part of persevering is we do it communally, together. We need we need each other. We desperately need each other. I need you all. Definitely, desperately need you all. Okay. So let's let's wrap up with the last question. Just how does the ne- negative example of the Israelites, or think of the negative example of someone else that maybe you know, how does that serve to motivate you toward godliness? Because I think the author is saying, don't be like them. How does that motivate you to godliness? Does it motivate you to godliness? Or you just look at it and go, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. I don't want to wake up one day and realize I've drifted away and I don't even know where I am. Yeah, and that opens, and that, you know, what you're saying too, Deborah, kind of opens up that can of worms. Well, are they just, are they just fallen into sin or were they ever really saved to begin with? Or did, were, could they be saved and then they chose not to be? Then you get into all that can of worms. But the one thing you do know is that they're not following the Lord. Functionally, functionally they're not. That is their, their state. Yeah. Other thoughts? So I guess back to uh, uh, exhort and admonish the one to the left and one to the right. And that's where you're in this together because we depend on each other to, to mm-hmm. be accountable.
accountable and to build each other up. And so we have a responsibility from left to right, too. But lots of times, not just to receive the exhortation, but to actually do the exhortation? Exactly. Yes, and do you all realize exhortation, it means to come alongside, and it, can off, it does involve encouragement, but it also involves rebuke. Yeah, part of that, when you started, that really hit me, because you're ex encouraging, exhorting, and warning. Mm-hmm. And mm -hmm. all of that together. Mm -hmm. So that's part of you know, mm -hmm. encouraging is to warn. It is to warn. It is to point out sin. It is to say I'm concerned about you or, or to lovingly say your thinking's wrong and let me tell you where it's wrong. Karen, you had something you were going to say. Um, I was just, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before, how we're bombarded with, you know, the things in this world, you know, television, mm -hmm. and magazines, and all of this fashion, fads, cell phones, whatever, social media, and how easy it is to... It's easy to get caught in the deceitfulness of sin. So that leads to the very last question then. How has this lesson caused you to reflect on your own spiritual condition? Did you answer that? How, or how could this lesson? Let me rephrase it because it might be too personal for you to share. But how could this lesson cause you to reflect on your own spiritual condition? It's me back to where we started. Okay. Yeah, am I considering what Dan says? Am I really considering Jesus like I need to? Mm -hmm. I think it encourages us to be faithful to the end. Mm -hmm. And also to be thankful when someone warns us or exhorts us. Mm -hmm. We should be thankful for that because what mm -hmm. we're really, the prize we're really seeking here is eternal life with him. And if someone doesn't warn us, if we're getting off, um, you know, then we won't have that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Kim. Oh, um, I was just thinking about the, the expectation part that if you're, you know, beside someone else and trying to encourage or point out things that with love that, you know, you might see in them, it helps you to see some of the things. In yourself? In yes, it does. It, sometimes when we're exhorting someone else, it, it, it boomerangs right back at us. Right. It's good to pray for plank removal. It's good to pray for what? Plank removal. Plank removal. Pray for plank removal. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I agree with you. Sometimes when you're, when, as you're saying that to someone else, you go, oh, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, I think good biblical exhortation and encouragement is you really desire to see that person become more Christ-like. That's good biblical friendship, too, for both men and women. You know, does my, do my friends want me to be more Christ-like? Are they willing to come alongside and, and help me to be that way? And am I the kind of friend that I want those I'm friends with to be more, like, more Christ-like, to be more like him? And if that's true, then I am willing to not only encourage them, but maybe rebuke or exhort or point out something that's not quite right. It would be real good to be transparent and just 
does yeah. Yes. That's why we need accountability. That's why we need accountability. I think that's why he just keeps emphasizing the communal aspect. You can't do this alone. We, we are all a part, as Corinthians, we are all a part, in Romans, we're all a part of the body of Christ. We're, we're one member of it. Do you know what I mean? Yes, Norma. Right, right. There is that that happens to me. Right. I, and, and I feel like it's God. It is, yeah. 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 And sometimes we can't fix things. Sometimes you can't do that. Right. But, and, and so is it necessary? I don't know. I don't know if it is. I, that's where you keep, Norma, that's where you just keep praying about it, like, like what I'm hearing you say you did. And that's sometimes where the body comes in for that other perspective to say, yeah, you need to go make that right or no. You know, that's just going to open that. It's between you and the Lord. You've done what you need to do. That, you know, that's where it's, it's it, we can't do, you've got to do it with God. But it's a horizontal as well. It can't be, we can't do it without each other, but we can't do it only based on each other. Yeah. It is relationship. You know the, and you know where it's coming from. It's so easy to accept because the mm-hmm. investment in the relationship, the love that you know is there and that it's, you know, for God's glory and for our best interest. And so that encourages us to establish those loving relationships with yes. people or else exhortation might just be wasted. Yes, yes. You need your posse. <laughs> I have, you know, I, have, I saw this little card one time. I'll just to tell you where I get that phrase. I saw this. I was looking for a birthday card, and I saw this little card, and it had a picture of three little kids on it, and they were all in their um, swimwear. You know, they were little, and they had like their little tube around, and their snorkel, and their little goggles on, and they're standing by the side of the pool, looking like little, you know, kids. And in the inside, it said something like, um, "We all need our posse. Thank you for being a part of my posse." And I bought that card, and I held on to it for a long time. And then when I was going through a difficult time and someone really helped me, I sent it to her. So now we send texts back with little horses on it because we're, we're, we're a posse. You, you know, you need your posse. You need those, you need those people around you, motley as they are, <laughs> that will stand by you and, and speak truth. Okay, one other thing I would Did anybody just have a conviction of asking, is my heart hard? In any area. Oh, I hate this lesson. You hate this. 
Because I'm absolutely positive where I am. And I just hate this lesson. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll just stop there. <clears throat> I mean, it did me. It made me sit down and go, whoa. Is there any area in my life where I've really let hardness set in? That I need the great surgeon to come in and do some cutting? Because I don't, I don't want that. And I hope you don't want it either. Okay. Any other thoughts, questions? Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 Very good. A star. <laughs> okay, if nobody has anything else, we're going to leave early. Since Jim's not here, I'll hang around for a little bit if you want to share something or ask a question. I'm here, and um, happy studying this week. We'll see you next week. You can look at Jim next week and get on to him for why he wasn't here. <laughs>